Welcome to Peter's Podcast, where we talk about real yoga, actual happiness, and deep living. Thanks for joining me. Hi, welcome to Peter's Podcast. I'm going to do something a little bit uh, mixed today. I thought I'd speak a little bit about the season we just went through or going through, potentially, depending on uh, when you're listening to this. And that's the season of Easter and Passover, the spring holidays in uh, two of the world's major religions. And um, after that, I thought I'd share with you a meditation class where I spoke a bit about Passover. Um, So you can listen to the chat at the front of it, and if you want, you can do the meditation as well. So uh, an idea occurred to me when I was looking to post something on Instagram, and um, you can follow me on Instagram if you want. It's just my name, Peter Furco. Um, And what I wrote uh, with a pretty picture from the Brooklyn Botanic Garden where Wendy and I took a walk recently was that joy and beauty are within, waiting to appear when you look for them. And I think that too often we're, um, we're a little confused about where happiness and where all those good emotions come from. We, we think they are more like a thing that is ready to come to us when we find the right stuff, when we get the right thing, when circumstances go the way we want, then we're going to find happiness. When, if only this were going to happen, then I'd be great. You know? And uh, even in psychology, they, they say that with regard to money, you know, if you have a ton of money, getting more money just doesn't make you feel better. But if you don't have enough money, well, then getting some money can help you feel a lot better. Um, you know, in yoga, we, we take the more uh, abstract view of that and say even, even that first bit is really only a sort of a superficial kind of happy. So this notion, joy and beauty are within, waiting to appear when you look for them, Reminded me of playing hide-and-seek with children. You know, when you're playing with kids, um, it's not like a serious hiding, you know, like like an investigator is trying to find a criminal or something, right? It's a playful game of age-appropriate difficulty. And there's a certain tolerance, like uh, you're going to acknowledge that the person can only sort of find you, right, the kid. So, for instance, I'll squat behind this chair, I'll be kind of in easy view, just waiting for the toddler to come find me, say. Right? And if she doesn't find me right away, I'll maybe make a sound or peek out a little so that it's easier for her to find me. Right? And when she expresses the glee or the joy of finding me, I'll join in that part of the game too right? and celebrate her success. Right? So that's a classic game. I'm sure you've all played it, right? So when we come to life 
and I say joy and beauty are within, waiting to appear when you look for them, typically we think of ourselves as the adults, right? And that there's kids who aren't so smart and they're the ones who are, whether it's age appropriateness or whatever, we're the ones who know, they're the ones who don't quite get it yet. But if you think about my initial statement, in that metaphor, we are the children, right? We're growing through our whole lives in understanding. We're getting to see things better. We're getting to not, you know, to have the ability to have um, not immediate gratification and, you know, growth like that, maturity kinds of things. But we are so often unable to see what is right in front of us, unable to like stop the mind from going elsewhere, future, past, and to just experience what's right here. We're unable to see the, the wholeness and to take the things that are good, quote unquote, and the things that are bad, quote unquote, as just the settings of the game. Right, so the settings of the game, like the furniture in our game of hide and seek, good stuff, bad stuff, and the joy and beauty are like the adult hiding behind the chair. That's the part of ourself that knows more, sees more, but is, you know, when we don't get it, is patient and willing to help with little nudges little noises, little peeking out, right? Little dribs and drabs of wonder and happiness and beauty and love. And, and, but when we focus on all the obstacles, when we focus on the good and the bad and keep t tying our happiness to those things, then we don't see the joy and beauty, right? It's over there behind the chair. Paramahansa Yogananda, who was one of my first yoga teachers, even though he departed the planet, his, his legacy continued on through an organization, Self-Realization Fellowship. He uh, came to America in the early part of the 20th century, and he led the first audience he lectured in America in singing a traditional kirtan song. And this kirtan song uh, makes this exact point. It's a chant to the divine beauty that weaves through life. That's there behind the chair. And that quality is given a name and a personification, which is the way that they do everything in India so that it's easier for people, ordinary humans, to understand what they're talking about, right? So that personification is given the name Sundari. So the Sundari is this divine beauty that weaves through life. And uh, in the mantra the, that Paramahansa Yogananda led as a song, uh, and I'm going to read to you in just a moment, this mantra has the word thou in it in the English translation that he used, and the thou refers to this divine beauty or to Sundari, if you want to give it a deity name, 
right? So here's how Yogananda, in using this chant, was trying to show these people and onward what it is that you're looking for. What is this divine beauty that's weaving through life? And the chant goes, In the forest thou art green, in the mountain thou art high, in the river thou art restless, in the ocean thou art grave. To the serviceful thou art service, to the lover thou art love, to the sorrowful thou art sympathy, to the yogi thou art bliss. So at the event in 1920, Yogananda called Sundari God for his American audience. And the chant was called, Oh God Beautiful. And you can actually find this if you want to go hunt on the internet. You can find Yogananda singing, Oh God Beautiful. Lindsay Sanwald and I do it as Hey Hari Sundari in our project Psych Rock Kirtan. So we go back to the original uh, Sundari for the chorus, but then we sing all these lines in English. And uh, Alan Finger uh, last year mentioned that uh, his father, Manny, gave uh, him a Kriya meditation using this same mantra that helps to emphasize that the bliss that we're looking for comes from within. Just a repetition of Hey Hari Sundari. Most of the podcasts I listen to stop right in the middle of really interesting conversations and tell me about watches, underwear, mattresses, food services, and even like odd things just like out of the blue that I can't even imagine why they're on. I'd rather not do that. So I've been trying to fund Peter's podcast with patreon.com. You can go to patreon.com slash Peter's podcast and subscribe by kicking me a buck, 10 bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever makes sense to you. Please check it out and make this podcast commercial-free. Thank you. Easter and Passover are holidays that have a historical component and also an allegorical interpretation. They're also a metaphor for evolution. And as I mentioned, I used Passover as a starting point for a Dharma talk before the meditation class I taught this week. And uh, you can hear them at the end of the podcast. Easter is a holiday in my own Catholic upbringing. And it's described as politics and ignorance, killing God. But in the story, being God, Jesus transcends death. So this is told in the church as a, a miracle story. But I think it's equally, if not even more useful, as an allegory for our human struggle. 
And in that struggle, we try to make deals with life to find happiness that's on the outside. But eventually, you know, we, we don't do it. We, we get to the depths. Pretty much every story um, ends up with somebody reaching the bottom. Right? And once you do, then there's a resurrection or a rebirth, you could call it, some kind of reorientation then to life. That's the classic tale, right? So in its discussion of this holy week of Easter, the Course in Miracles says, quote, vision will come to you at first in glimpses, but they will be enough to show you what is given you who see your brother sinless. Right? So if you can see someone else as being good, right? Not not wrong, not the problem, not trouble, not confused, not worthy of your criticism. Sinless. So the, I know it was all commentary. <laughs> Going back to the course. The truth is restored to you through your desire as it was lost to you through your desire for something else. So somehow your thing that you're after is shifting. What you had before brought you to some unhappiness, brought you to the bottom. But truth gets restored as you desire something else. The Course goes on. Open the holy place that you closed off by valuing the something else, and what was never lost will quietly return. It has been saved for you. Which is just another way of saying, she's hiding behind the chair over there, right? If you just value that, if you just go look for that, it will quietly return. So there's some food for thought for you. What is it that you are judging and not looking for beauty and joy, but instead getting stuck seeing the sin, to use all this religious language this week, the sin around you, right? And speaking of sin, the Mueller report has been on my mind lately. And different friends of mine and different acquaintances have been paying more, more, well, they've been paying, some of them have been paying a ton of attention to it. Some of them hardly any attention at all. Right. And, um, you know, and I think that's reasonable for some, from some people's perspective, it's a major story. It's like Holy Week, right? Uh, it's like politics and ignorance trying to kill the truth. So it's a big deal. People are really frustrated about it all. But from other people's perspective, it's just politics as usual, right? They're, they're, they're like beyond caring about it anymore. So I, I find that interesting, you know, and it's always interesting to hear when people just, they don't care, or when some people are so distraught that it's destroying their ability to stay calm at all, right? So we have the whole range there. And uh, the Bhagavad Gita, to go to another 
major text and one that I'm going to be lecturing from uh, next month. I'm going to do a workshop at Ishta on the Bhagavad Gita and how to how it's a manual for our own happiness in life. But the Gita acknowledges that we're going to have different roles and different responsibilities to act on when we're in life. So each of us is going to have something different to do. Each of us is going to have like a whole different probably category of things to do. But it also emphasizes that it's important to remember that there is always, whatever your focus is, there is this pervading quality of the universe. There is this pervading, earlier we called it beauty and love or beauty and happiness, right? Um, joy and beauty. So there is this pervading divine quality in the universe. So whatever our role is and whatever our way of orienting to it is, the Gita suggests, remember, that there is also this pervading quality. And doing that, remembering that everything we do is based in this quality, keeps us fixed on the truth. And maybe another way I could say that is this pervading quality yogis would consider to be life itself, right? The life that is exploded from the Big Bang and is this manifest universe that we're in is of the same stuff which literally happened at the Big Bang, right? One, one nothing exploded into everything. So we like to think of ourselves as separate beings, right? We, we have very much that focus because of the way our mind works. But we are literally nothing but the universe in its own pattern of expansion. And in this moment that we think of as a time, a year 2019, we are born into these actions and these activities with these characteristics. But a more fundamental way to think of it is we're just a part of the ever-expanding quantum whatever the heck it is, right? And so here we are with the ability to ponder it and think about it. So in the Gita, um, there's this really lovely verse. It's quite famous um, for anybody who studies the Gita. But it uh, refers to this pervading quality as Brahman. So again, we're back to that notion of giving a name to something so we can talk about it more easily give it some characteristics. And the quality of Brahman is that Brahman is the, the universe. It's the deity of the universe, the undifferentiated everything. Um, and it's what then manifests the existence that we're participating in right now. So this idea, referring to the pervading quality as Brahman, yields a verse about pouring ghee. Ghee is um, 
something you make from butter. You have get it, have it in Indian food all the time. Um, so you you heat butter, and then the butter separates. The solids come out, and you're left with a kind of an oil. And this oil is often used in uh, sacrificial rituals, like pouring oil into a fire to you know fuel the fire. So this is something that would have been taking place commonly when the Gita came about and it's still done if you go up to like a Shivananda ashram uh, in the Catskills they'll they'll do a, a ritual and it might involve ghee and milk and things like that so in the verse um, the verse that is given in the Gita is for you to remember so now uh, having been given like by the priestly class to the ordinary people it's it's been given as kind of a thing you say when you're doing a ritual of a meal so when you're doing a, about to have a meal this verse is one that's often used as grace right? and here's the verse i'll read it for you brahman is the ladle brahman is the ghee that is ladled by brahman is the ghee offered into the fire of Brahman. Those who meditate on Brahman in his works find samadhi, or merging with Brahman. So this is a little poetic way of talking about this thing that pervades everything. Right? And one of the, the means that the Gita talks about for finding your your happiness, your ability to live life properly, is to try to come to an understanding of that, to see everything as Brahman. So here it's given you, you know, four different examples. It's the ladle, it's the thing that's in the ladle, it's the, the, the actual offering, like me doing something with it, it's the fire that accepts the offering. That's a way. And I'll speak more about that uh, in my workshop. If you're in New York, come on down. Um, and um, maybe I'll see if we can have a call-in number on that as well. So check in with me if you want. Um, Peter's Podcast 108 at gmail.com. And I'll put a link in the show notes. So just to recap on this Gita part, the Gita says that we are well served doing our own role in things, right? So back to my notion about some people getting upset about politics, some people not. You know, some people are like in politics. So that's, that is their role. They should be in, interested and concerned and doing and paying attention and all of that kind of stuff. I was just listening to a very interesting lecture um, with someone from the Annenberg School. And um, she said that one of the problems she sees in our current news delivery system way is that we the news speaks to everybody as though they are news people and not as though they are just people as though they are voters or citizens so they're spending so much time working on the the horse race is the way we usually say it but it's like the strategy like, why is someone doing, saying it this way? What are they saying? How are they manipulating the public and stuff like that? Where they're leaving out 
almost all of the actual content and the discussion of the various policies and what they mean so that we would have a broader understanding of what it is that we're voting for, who stands for what, how likely are they to be able to do it, things like that. Instead, we're very keyed into, you know, is Elizabeth Warren really a Native American? Anywho, it's important to do the thing that is your role, right? And the Gita also says that it's better to do what's in front of you than to wander off in search of something better to do, quote unquote, right? That you're trying to find something better than what is right in front of you. And obviously there's room for exploration, right? You may not know what you're supposed to do yet, so you're just trying to find it. But once you're doing it, it's very often that you like dabble and then you go, ah, this isn't really working. So you go look for something else, then you dabble, then you look for something else, then you look for something else. This is kind of a thing that a lot of people do when they are first getting into yoga it's like cool for a while but then they think oh let me go do like you know flying off the roof yoga or let me go do some other kind of yoga and they're never going deep in for the stuff that's there and it's only there when you do the work right so the gita says we are well served by doing our own role it's better to do what's in front of you than to wander off in search of something better and it gets back to that idea of beauty being there when you look for it, right? So if you're just dabbling, you're never going deep. You're never looking behind the stuff. You're never getting in there, feeling the uncomfortableness or whatever of not knowing where it is, being lost, not finding her. And then oh, there she is. She's behind the chair. Yay, <laughs> right? Here is where you are. Here is where your life circumstances have brought you. So maybe you'll look beyond where you are as part of your growth and your learning, but it's useful to remember the source of joy and beauty is within. Act here, right where you are, right now. And if you decide to try to act elsewhere, You'll still have to remember the joy that you're experiencing when you find that is not in that thing, but it's still in you. But now, like the Course in Miracles says, you're valuing it. I hope you had lovely holidays. Enjoy the meditation class after. Namaste. I wasn't uh, brought up Jewish, but I've had the good fortune of having very close uh, Jewish friends my whole life, so uh, I played music at about 150 bar mitzvahs, and I've been present for lots of Jewish weddings, and, and I've had the opportunity to attend a few seders over the years, and um, um, it's always very interesting. And, depending on who's there, lots of conversation about topics. And um, one of the things that I learned is that the word Seder means order. Uh, and it has to do with the way that you go through this particular dinner, remembering things. And um, so the, the practice we're going to do today has something to do with, with that. 
order. And in fact, yoga itself has something to do with order <coughs> as a way of getting to a particular destination. You travel a particular route to get to a particular destination. And in uh, yoga, there's this handful of tools and you can theoretically apply them in any order you want. But when you're first developing your practice, it really helps to follow the particular order. Um, and that order was documented in the Yoga Sutras and in some other books about yoga. It has to do with a, how do you go from being engrossed in your world that's so much about me and my mind and my experiencing and what's happening to me and what am I going to do? How do you get from that to a place where it really feels like you've transcended that smaller part of who you are and you feel for a moment like, right, there's this ineffable quality of feeling somehow bigger than that. And um, in Sanskrit, the, the word for that change is jiva mukti. And where jiva is this part of you that is the self, me. And mukti means to be freed. So the, the notion of this jiva mukti is that instead of being bound right, in this littleness, in, in this focus on who we are when we're just individual, that you free that self to have an experience of another, another uh, like definition is way too small a word. It's like, how do you see who you are when you're not just focusing on that smallness? Right? And it, it reminded me of that movie, The Matrix, right? Where they're all thinking they're in a, a world. I don't know, if, as you, have you not seen The Matrix? No one's, everyone's seen The Matrix. Um, But the thing with The Matrix is they have a realization that they're not in their little dream world, but then they're just in a little other world. (laughs) They're still just individuals, right? But now it's even worse because they have to fight something even harder. So um, in yoga, we go from being wrapped up in this littleness to feeling a part of a wholeness. And that's been like a theme that's really um, circling around in my own mind. And I've been kind of looking at how does that apply to lots of different things that we do in yoga. This notion that we usually think of ourselves as individual. And then when something bigger happens, we think, oh, my little individual has this bigger. It's maybe a little more useful to think of the universe is, and part of the universe is having these little experiences, right? So we are the universe, which I think Deepak Chopra said in the book that's out on the shelf, right? But it it doesn't mean that Peter is like somehow whatever, but that the universe is expressing as us, you know, in the giant evolution of what's going on, part of that wholeness is having experiencing for the next, you know, 80, 90 years. And then something else evolves out of all of that, right? 
So it's kind of interesting to think of, we usually think of ourselves as the little experience is me, and this other experience maybe I'll get someday, to sort of flip that on its head and say, this is me, and I'm having this experience for these like eight and a half hours, or however many hours we stay awake. And then we get to be whole again. And in meditation, we intentionally make an opportunity to have that experience while we're awake, while we're paying attention to it, so that we start to know who am I, and then we can free ourselves from this bondage of only focusing on the individual of what I am, which brings us back to the Seder, which is a whole story about freeing from bondage and coming to the promised land. So in yoga, we have these... uh, eight pieces of practice and the eight pieces most of you many of you know that we we start off often with um, like stop doing stuff that's not helping right and that's called yama or controlling regulating what's going on so things like stealing right obvious stuff stuff that's like in the criminal code you stop doing you stop doing that stuff right and then there's the flip side of that things that would be more helpful, which are called niyama, or don't limit those things. And that's stuff like being pure, being truthful, and uh, you know, doing your practice. So we, get, we have those things, and then, then we talk about the practice in these steps. And the first one is asana, because sometimes it's super hard to figure out how do I stop being me. Right? So it's like I have to concentrate my mind, get my mind under my control. So starting with the body is a really nice way to create some balance, some ease. But also, when you're doing asana, it's really important to work on focus. How do I focus? Right? How can I be doing this and not just be, okay, I did it. When are they going to say the next thing? Right? It's like, whoosh, I'm here. How can I hold my mind still while I'm in this? And then we move from that into working with us as energy, which we do in practice here a lot in the meditation class. How do I start to feel myself as a more subtle variation? Because when scientists look at what's the universe, they don't say, oh, it's people. They say it's energy. It's this flux of protons, neutrons, electrons, quarks, all that stuff, right? So that's what's going on, really. So we have to start to see ourselves as more subtle than just what our senses name us. And then from there, when we have that concentration piece and we're starting to see a little more who we are, the mind will start to go through some natural shifts because part of being the universe is we're still part of the universe. So your mind can still go to that place where... You are that, but it requires turning away from the other perspective. So we have to be willing to take a pause, which, way to go everybody this morning. And so you take this pause and then you allow your mind to go through this shifting and then you have that other experience. So in the practice today, the way we're going to do that is to use the chakras. The chakras are a another ordering, but an ordering of the 
sort of energetic functions that we use when we're in the world. So we're starting at our base where we take care of survival, then we move into the pelvis, the energy of that center is about how do I get what I want, how do I avoid what I don't want so that I can find happiness, right? Which propels us through life. Like trying to do that propels us into living. It makes the experiencing that we're doing as this aspect of what we are. Then we move up here into this realm of the fire element in the navel. And that sort of bakes in what's going on down here and gives us this personality that we're so attached to. Right? But it's also the force of what makes everything happen. It makes us think, makes us get stuff done. Then we move up and we have this energy of when things are in motion and when I like what I like and you like what you like and we bump into each other, what happens? What does that movement encounter do? How do we deal with it? Right? So this energy of movement and relationship with other things. And we have a center that's related to the expression of who we are, if we're coming this way, or what we know if we're coming from that way. So this is coming in balance to work that energy. And then we have a command center that thinks, decides, organizes, all of that. And that's here. So when we work with the chakras, we're going to go from the base, ringing each chakra and balancing them, tuning them up, just like you would tune a guitar or something. And then when we get to the top, we're going to let go and we're going to let go in the progression, we've gone up, and we're going to let go here. Right? But here isn't like, where is that? You know, Al, Al loves anatomy, so he's always like, in the diencephalon region of the brain, right? Like, you can <laughs> let go nowhere. You let go in the wholeness of it all, right? When you get to this place and you've walked yourself up to the understanding of who you are as a whole, you're no longer limited in physicality. So that's why sometimes when you're meditating, it literally feels like, I don't know where I am, or where's my body? Oh, right, there's my legs, I feel them now, I'm once asleep. Right? You sort of lose that relationship of the sensory mind, and you've turned to who I am otherwise. And then at the end of practice, we bring that back through the chakras, so that we can have wisdom influencing all of how we go through it. We can be in Jiva Mukti. We can be in a situation where I'm not just in bondage thinking that's all I am. I know I'm the universe. Deepak would applaud. Right? And then that uh, you're going through life in life, but with this bigger perspective on things. Questions on any of that? Okay. So we, we do different chakra meditations. Today we're just going to work with the, the sound of each chakra, the bija mantra, which means the seed sound. So we'll ring the seed sound in each one and I, I, 
I like all the chakra meditations, but I, I like this one for its sort of feeling of your, like, catapulting your way up, right? You're, you're ringing and binging and dinging and and then it's just, and then you can do it again, and then you can do it silently, and if you need it some more times, you can do it, so that you're really pulling electromagnetically your attention upward into that space where you're transcending. Namaste, Phil. So we're going to do that. Um, so let's come on to all fours, and we'll start with some premeditative asana. And as you breathe in, curl your toes under, arch and open the cow. Exhale and round the cat. efficient. It's effective at helping you go from no idea what I'm up to, to understanding how to let the mind go through those little shifts, being quiet enough to do that. There was something in the Seder last night about like four different kinds of sons. One doesn't even know what questions to ask. All the fourth one gets it. So So then the order may not be so important. You may sit down for five seconds, do a little pranayama, a little breathing, and then suddenly you're like out of here. And then at other times, it turns out, oh, I'm really distracted, I can't settle down. So you need to go through the order again. Just like the remembrance doing it so that you remember ah, how you get it. After your next inhale, on the exhale, take your seat back to your heels, back to the child's pose. Balasana. We'll add the Saham Kriya here so we can start to get tuned into the energy line of our own center. So as you breathe in, draw energy in from the universe to be start expressing as us. We are the universe, but now we're going to express as us. Inhale, energy crown to base. Exhale, let that energy radiate as us. Come back up to the upward part of the cat-cow. Arch and open. <clears throat> Exhale, seat back to your heels. Do that two more times as you start the sa-hum. Sa, energy in, crown to base. Exhale, hum that energy. Enlivens us. It is us electromagnetically. Inhale, saw. 
and exhale hum. After your next exhale, when you're back, we're going to add the Bali. So inhale up on your knees, arms overhead. Exhale all the way back to seal the child's pose. Inhale to that upward part of the cow and drop to the cobra pose if it's okay in your back. Bend your elbows. And exhale back to the seal. Inhale, Bali. Layer on the saw um, saw in, exhale, seal, hum, energy radiates, inhale, cobra, saw, inspiration, exhale, seal, the distribution or expansion of that energy into us. Bali, seal, cobra, seal. Balance. Notice the effect of having moved so much forward and back. So we're using asana, that gross level, our concentration on it as we do it. The visualizing of energy, so starting to work with pranayama and kriya. <coughs> Now we'll add another asana tool inversion, upside down. So you can do that with a headstand. You could do it with downward facing dog. So your seat is higher than your head. Just upside down V. You could do it on a forearm version of the downward dog. focus away from the foundation, away from the survival components, the personality, and back toward your head. So when you come out of the inversion, pay attention to that. Take your time and make your way up to a seat, either sitting back on your heels or sitting cross-legged. Don't 
effect of the first couple of breaths when you're upright. And let your gaze rest on the floor. Gently open your eyes if they're closed and sit over onto the right side of your feet. <clears throat> I like to sit up on a blanket for this one, so you might want to do that too. Maybe hook your right toes over your left ankle. It's a nice little bind that helps hold the base. If that feels bad in your ankle, don't do it. Set your hand down on the side where your feet are and raise your right arm up into the air. Inhale back to center. Sit back and swing your legs around to the other side. And then set your hand down where your feet are. Raise your left arm. Inhale, lengthen. Exhale, lean. Why do you lean to the left in this ear? And inhale back upright, lower down on that side. Swing your legs straight out into Dandasana, like a right angle seat. Set your hands behind you, sit up nice and tall, maybe sit on a blanket. And sa, inspiration, hum. Go ahead and soften there. You bring your uh, feet in close, ankles close in, wrap your hands around your feet, bottom up, bound an ankle. And sometimes you just have to stretch for the inner thighs, but I'd like for you to get a sense of where is my root, that first chakra at the pelvic floor. So between where your sitting bones are on the floor, between the pubic bone and tailbone. Send your feet a little wider apart and initial wipe your legs from one side to the other, getting a little internal rotation. 
at your hip. Loosen up your hips so we can sit for a while. And then find a comfortable seat. Each of the mantras that we're going to use <clears throat> rings out afterwards, much like a bell rings out. We have a strike of the sound, and then the extension after. When we do our mantras, we're going to have the strike of the first letter, and then the sound will come after. We'll be doing it a little quicker today, so it won't be so long. But the sound at the base is the letter L, lum, lum, l. You can make that sound now. You feel a little bit lifting at the pelvic floor. L, l, lum. In the pelvic bowl, so in the middle, pubic line, we have V, the letter V, vam, v. Go ahead and do that. V, v, v. Feel where that is. V, vam. At the navel, the sound is like a rolled R sound, if you can't roll an R, it's probably good to just tap your tongue at the palate, like up above where you, when you're, if I draw my head sideways, so these are my teeth coming down, there's like a place where the gums come out and then it goes up. So if you tap your tongue right there, that's a good spot for that. Ram. Ram. <laughs> then we move up into the middle of the chest, and the Bija mantra is with the letter Y, Y, Yam, Y, 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 Yam. At the throat center, it's like a huh, aspiration sound, like H, huh. Ha, that's very easy to feel. Ha, hum. And then when we get to the last two, we're moving out of the realm of these elemental forces. The first place we're going to go is into the diencephalon region in the brain, since you all know where that is. And um, in that middle of the brain space, we, there's a little doorway between the roof of your mouth and that space. So we're going to tap, knock on that door with the letter K, like a K, 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 and you'll feel it. It hits literally at the roof of your mouth, K, when you make that sound, K. And then to go into the middle of the brain, Sham, Sham. So together it will be Kasham, Kasham. Exactly. Right. And then finally, in the nowhere, right, in like here in the space between the brain and the skull, if you want to get anatomical, but really it's like beyond anatomy, we'll use the sound om. 
So we'll ring these in a nice little pattern. Lam, Vam, Ram, Yam, Ham, Ksham, Om. And just like the bell rings and then it goes off to silence, we'll let our Om go off to silence. And then we'll repeat that. So hopefully as we go along, you'll get the order down. I'll keep trying to remind you. Let's start with alternate nostril breathing. So let your left hand rest on your knee. You can join your index finger and thumb on that hand. And with your right hand, either set the first two fingers, your index finger and middle finger on your forehead or tuck them into your palm. They feel a little different when you do the two versions. So you can try each and see which one feels more comfortable which one feels more powerful. And then with your thumb, find the bony part on the side of your right nostril and move just below the bony part to where it's soft, where you, if you press there, you'll block your breath. And then with your ring finger, find the left nostril on the outside, the bony part, and right below that bony part where you could block your nostril. So those are the points we'll press to alternate the breath through one side and then the other. So do a little experiment now and see if you can tell which side is already more open, more easy to breathe through. And we're going to make that the first one we inhale through. So block the opposite side, breathe in through the one side, close and block both for a moment, and then release out the other side. Stay on that side to breathe back in, close and block both at the top of your inhale, and release out the first side. And we're just gonna keep going out and in the same side now. So come back in the same side, close and block both. And whenever it's your breath cycle, go ahead and breathe out the other side. And whenever it's natural, breathe back in that side. And then switch. one of those pieces that in the beginning it can take a fair amount of doing this to get your mind to settle down, to kind of get daydreamy. But when you've practiced a long time, sometimes it takes very little to make that happen. Like you already know the route. Your mind just goes there. So you can take your own time to start to feel like the breath is calming down able to get a little longer, a little smoother. When that starts to happen, you might add a retention, a holding of your breath at the top of your breath in. Only if that feels okay. Breathe in the one side, hold your breath, tuck your chin, lift at the pelvic floor. And then when you're really before you need to let out the other side. Come back in that same side you breathe out, hold the breath at the top, tuck your chin, lift at the pelvic floor, draw up and under the ribs. And when you need to let out the other side.
start to feel that you've moved into this slightly different frame of mind, more pulled in. Let the practice of this conclude, but keep your eyes closed, keep that inward focus, but let your right hand also relax onto your knee. It doesn't have to be right now, just whenever you're ready. that center line where we were drawing energy in crown to base. And within that line now, we'll move up the line of the chakras. And for a reminder, the first one is at the pelvic floor, the second in the pelvic bowl, the third at the navel, the fourth in the middle of the chest, the heart center, the fifth in the throat at that notch at the base of your throat, up to the roof of your mouth, and the fifth in the middle of the brain, sixth rather, in the middle of the brain, and then the seventh beyond in the space between the brain and the skull, perhaps. Imagine the mantras Lam, Vam, Ram, Yam, Ham, Ksham, Om. So take a nice breath in from the base. Lam, Vam, Ram, Yam, Ham, Kasham. Bound, freeing the jiva, allowing it to move 
to being the universe. So a little softer this time. Breath in.
reorient back to life from this new perspective, we use Archavatva Samyama. Stay in your meditative place as much as you can. Bring the tip of your tongue to the roof of your mouth and your palms lightly to touch in front of the heart center. See if you can transition to that more subtle experiencing so it's not so much touch and solid objects but energy interacting in the palms. Move your tongue behind the upper teeth at the gum line and direct the energy of your meditation, the wisdom, the understanding that you touch there into the palms of your hands so that we can distribute it. Move your hands a little apart and you might still feel the energy as more of heat or further apart and your hands might feel more like magnetism. And then bring this energy up over your eyes to direct it into the command center in the middle of the brain. And as you send that energy there, we start to repattern ourselves so that wisdom is now influencing the choices that we make. The mantra to help reinforce that, Om Namah Shivaya. So we'll repeat that four times. You can also just let it resonate through you without chanting it yourself. Let your palms come together in front of the brow center. Om Namah Shivaya. back over your eyes, we'll make our way to the throat center. We'll pause at the jawline and move around the jawline to the back of your neck just to release any tension that accumulated there. Come back around to the throat in front and with one hand over the other, direct the energy into the throat center, bringing us wisdom in the way that we understand and express ourselves. The mantra, Om Aim Saraswati Namaha. Om Aim Saraswati Namaha Om Aim Saraswati Namaha Om Aim Saraswati Namaha From the throat center, draw the energy down to the heart center in the middle of your chest. Each of these are stops we made on the way up. Now we're repurposing that energy into them so they're now renewed. We are evolving. The mantra to help bring us clarity in our relationships. Om Namo Narayanaya. Om Namo
still as part of our meditation and transitioning back into living, draw the energy from the heart center down to the navel center. We direct it in here into this place that's so important because it's what makes things happen, that energy. Let it be now filled with energy and inspiration to do things in just the right way to keep us evolving on our path. Let your right palm face down, your left palm face up, and clasp your hands, and pull the heels of your hands right against your navel. This shape also helps reinforce that transformation of energy. The mantra, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. From the navel, draw the energy down to the pubic line, sending it into the pelvis, into really the svadhisthana chakra, that headquarters of our desire, our likes, our dislikes, and our personality. And the mantra to make sure that we let this energy flow as wisdom rather than getting stuck in loops of habits and patterns. The mantra like a drumbeat, om, doom, doom, doom. Durga ye namaha. Om dum 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 Durga ye namaha. Om dum 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 Durga ye namaha. Om dum 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 Durga ye Let your fingertips come right on to the pubic bone, thumbs touching at the top. So we've got a triangle, that shape in yoga, in yantra, we use as a way of directing energy. So we're going to direct the wisdom of our meditation into the pelvic floor so that in the realm of stability and structure, we have wisdom. The mantra, Om Lakshmi Vam Shri Kamaladaram Swaha. Om Lakshmi Ram Shri Kamaladaram Swaha Om Lakshmi Ram Shri Kamaladaram Swaha Om Lakshmi Ram Shri Kamaladaram Swaha Wrap the index finger and thumb at the crease line between thigh and torso and ground yourself, rooting down. And to help ensure that this energy all flows in an efficient way, that it moves through and helps us make these transformations, we'll use one final mantra. This one helps to make sure there are no obstacles. The mantra, Om Gam 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 Ganapataye Namaha. Om Gam 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 Ganapataye Namaha Om Gam 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 Ganapataye 
Reground back into your legs by moving the energy from your hips to your knee and through your thighs, these big muscles that help us navigate the earth. Massage around your knee joints, down your shins. Unwind your legs if you need to get at the backs of your calves and walk with a thumb line down the center of your calf right down your Achilles tendon, and then grab your ankles tight, concentrating your energy downward into your legs and feet, and then walk five lines right down the soles of your feet, the very bottom of your body where we connect to the earth. One line to each toe. And then extend your legs, release them out. If your legs are asleep, do down dog and pedal your legs out of it. And then finally, Shavasana on your back. And let all the muscles that held you up one way release and surrender back into the earth.
you are the universe experiencing, living, all things are the same. You act knowing that it's all part of the grand universe, which is you. Hold some of the calm that that brings as you make your way back toward your active place. Start to move your fingers, your toes. Run your thumbs across your fingertips. Turn your head a little from side to side. Bring your breath a little deeper. And on a nice breath in, raise your arms up overhead. And stretch long through your right side from fingers to toes. And release on that side and reach to your left side from fingers to toes. And release. Draw your knees in, wrap your hands around your shins. And then set your feet on the floor and press up into the bridge pose, lifting your chest high. Bring your arms underneath you, press down into the floor, arching open. And then lower back down. If your feet still wide, windshield your wiper, windshield wiper your legs one way and then the other to release out in your hips. And draw your knees in, rock your way up to sitting or roll over to one side and press up to sit. And then make a fist with your right hand at your spot just below the navel, the distribution center for your energy. Set your left hand on top of the right and tilt forward there just till you feel this little bit of holding on at your base to help you stay upright. And as you next breathe in, add that final sahamkriya, drawing energy in from crown to base, and on your exhale, radiate that energy out from where you're pressing in to energize you and continue that cycle of wisdom to influence every moment of your living. Come back upright, Haryom Tatsat. A lovely weekend, even though it's raining. Namaste. That's today's episode. Thanks a lot for listening to Peter's podcast. I hope that you find real yoga, actual happiness, and deep living through your practice. Please support me on Patreon, rate the podcast. And I'll see you next week. Namaste.